this season of Advent, this purple season, is a penitential season, uh, meaning it's a season where we take inventory of our lives and the condition of our souls. We look at the way things really are, and with courage and with hope, we prepare for God's healing presence and his touch. We prepare ourselves for, especially in Advent, the not only the birth of the king, and not only also his real presence with us at the table, but the historical, and I don't mean that in terms of past, but I mean happening within the real human timeline, the historical return of Christ the king to reign upon this earth. Now that's kind of a trip, isn't it? Am I, is it just me? Every time I hear myself sort of say something like that about Jesus' return in the future, I think, Really? Can smart, intelligent, sort of clear-headed thinking people in the modern world really believe something so fantastic? What are the obstacles of believing in something like this that you even sense in your own life and in your own heart, maybe in your mind? This is such an almost unbelievable truth that the Christian faith holds and gives to us. It's perhaps, for me, one of the most mysterious parts of our faith. That the risen Jesus of Nazareth, the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth, will come again and reign as king over his kingdom on this earth. Let that sink in. And if you are like me, you might tend to imagine this future event as just sort of maybe a religious sort of spiritual truth that has something to do with our hearts, but nothing to do with the real world, right? I mean, right? No. This is a truth that Christians have announced and continue to witness to from the beginning and will continue to witness to until he comes again. In fact, you witness to it every week at this altar. You confess that he will return again. So how do we deal with the readings that we see in Scripture, in Isaiah, in Romans, in the Psalm this morning, even in our Gospel reading with John the Baptist? How do we engage and approach Scripture as if to not treat it like a myth, but as to treat it as a truth that actually has impact on the way we live our lives today. Now, maybe this is hard to believe because the prophets that we have just read and maybe the life of Christ feel so far removed in history. That was a long time ago, Sean, right? So far removed. And maybe part of what's hard to believe about this is the reality that we believe Jesus is present with us now is not seen. We don't get to see it in the same way that maybe those in history got to see the living Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe that's what makes it hard. It could also be that this world is in such shambles, such terrible shape, that to believe that God himself in the person of Jesus is going to return and make things right of this world? Have you seen this world? Maybe that's what makes this so hard to believe. I wonder if you're honest with yourself this morning, your own sort of Advent hang-up. What is it? This is the message of Advent. Christ is on his way. His return is imminent. He will reign and he will set things right. Now, as you hear that, consider your own self. What is your hang-up with that news? What makes it difficult for you to wrap your head around this and Live your life now oriented to that future. Can y'all see that? That's the work of Advent. That's the preparation we have on our hands. This morning, I want to wrestle with this difficulty a little bit. This difficulty of belief in a season of preparation. I want to start with the prophet Isaiah. The prophet talks about the stump of Jesse. Did you guys hear this in the reading? There is one who will come from the stump of Jesse. 
Who is Jesse, right? Who is Jesse? Jesse was from Bethlehem. His son David was anointed king of Israel. David is that guy, right? King David. Anointed king over Israel. His dad was Jesse. David's son was Solomon, who would also succeed him as king over Israel. Now, the tree that we hear in Isaiah is used here to depict um, the way that God's reign is given to David, his appointed one, and how that reign will pass on to his descendants. So they're using sort of a family tree image. Y'all tracking with that? But uh, Jesse is described, or there's a stump that is described about Jesse, which means that this reign, this tree, was cut down, was cut short, right? According to Isaiah 6, it was a tree whose stump remains standing when it is felled. So it's cut, but the stump is still there. It's a fancy way of saying we cut the tree down, but there's a stump there, right? It's a a really sobering image, actually, of destruction and desolation. When you think of the good reign of God upon the earth cut down, and all that's left is a stump. Sobering. The royal lineage, lineage that God has given over, and his people scattered throughout the world. And why this judgment? Why did this happen? In Isaiah 5, verse 7, it tells us plainly that from his people, he expected justice, but he saw bloodshed. God expected righteousness, but heard a cry. That's why this happened. If you've ever seen a desolate landscape, and the picture that comes to mind is even a few years ago, you can still see it now, but when you drive through or towards Bastrop. Remember the big fire that burned through that whole area? Uh, there, was a t- there was a time when you could drive through and it was just blackened and cut down. That's the image that I see the prophet describing. This sort of burned down landscape riddled by the sin of the world, just torn apart by the death and destruction of this world. This is actually the dark moment of Advent. If you want to know what Advent's like, imagine that scene in the, towards Bastrop. This is that dark landscape, this season, a sober look at the desolation that we find all around our lives, and maybe even within our lives, in our own souls. Sin has laid waste to so much in this world and in our own lives. We could talk all day about the things that sin has done, the ways it has destroyed this world and people. From something that's been on my mind lately, my mind lately, ecological destruction and our crisis with our environment that is fueled by greed, that's desolation that you can see plainly. The unchecked injustices of violence upon violence upon, seems like every time we read the news, that's the story we see. Racism, inequality. The exploitation of the poor, especially in this season when we buy these goods that who knows where they come from? Are they exploiting the poor? I'm sorry to like, but that's, I got to deal with that. It's sobering. Abuse, abuse in the church of all places, hatred, division, selfishness. Can you see the landscape? Friends, in Advent, we don't like sort of numb out and pretend that doesn't exist. In Advent, we look around, we open our eyes. We get sober to the fact that desolation surrounds us and is even within us. You can see why this season of preparation so emphasizes a resistance of numbing out, actually. A resistance of filling our lives with more 
more noise, more gifts, more of the things we want, more events, more busyness. Those things only serve to distract us to the desolation that is actually all around us. And instead of binging on all these things, we we actually, with hope, can face this darkened landscape, this desolation. And we can face it because we have a hope, a hope unlike any other people in the world, a hope unlike any other thing that anything could provide for us in this world. And we find that hope described, alluded to in the word Advent. So if you're ever wondering, what's Advent about? Remember this. There's a hope about the word Advent. You can see it. It's about the arrival of someone. There is a hope that we have. That God, who once created all things good, who made all things new, who set things up perfectly and in harmony and in peace, like the images that we see of animals who shouldn't be laying down together, laying down together. That's the world God created. The God who once created that world is coming again to restore it to that goodness. And he's going to do it through his creative and loving and very strong genius, his judgmental genius. And God is judgmental, not like us. He is righteously just. And he will make things right. This is the arrival of the kingdom we always talk about. And this is eminent. Amen? And this eminent, for sure, coming of God's kingdom is what fuels our hope. Now place your life's timeline with the ending of of the the kingdom of God coming and reigning and setting things right in the world. Picture your life, the story of your life, and put at the end this perfect kingdom and this good king that God will bring about to restore all things. Now, Now we're telling the story. This is the story. And yes, that tree that we read about in Isaiah was cut down, but if we peer out in the direction that the prophet is pointing us in Isaiah... If we kind of look down his finger and say, where is, what does Isaiah see? What is he pointing us to? We will see that kingdom coming in that same line of Jesse and David and Solomon. Even out of Bethlehem, we see this true king coming. And Isaiah 11 verse 2 says this, The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. David's psalm that we chanted so beautifully foretold that this king would judge the people with righteousness. And the poor with justice. Under his care the earth would be renewed. The mountains yielding prosperity for the people. The hills in righteousness. He would defend the case of the poor. Deliver the needy and crush the oppressor. And his reign will never end. Wow. How just. How right setting is this future of God that we have. And if you hear this and think... Man, that sounds really like social justice That sounds really like there's a concern for the world or the earth or something. That sounds really like not very spiritual. No, 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 no. Don't hear this wrong. You don't have to choose between spiritual or real world. The view that God has for us here is one that is comprehensive. Nothing is outside of the reign and rule of God when he comes to set things right. You and this world will be set right. 
And all of the inequalities and the injustices and the violence, the desolation that I named earlier, all of that will be healed and be made new. And this is good news to those who are under the foot of those powers, those evils that keep them from the love of God, that keep them from the goodness that God has for them. And for those who are stepping on others and those administering that oppression, watch out because there is a king, a just judge, who you will not stand in his way. There's no shot. There's no one like him. You cannot stand on your two feet before him, the righteous judge. This, friends, is why the prophets cry out so emphatically to us. We were just talking in the back like, I appreciate what the prophets have to say. I'm not sure we would be friends, though. These guys were like the most depressed and down and urgent of us. They're the people that were like, can, Father Sean, can you tell them to be quiet? That would be that guy, Jeremiah and Isaiah, for sure. They are the ones, though, that put that image of desolation before us even when it's uncomfortable and help us to face the truth. But this is also the reason they have such hope because that desolation is not the end of things. This is why John so energetically bursts out from the wilderness and cries, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And he warns us, bear the fruit of repentance Without excuses, without presumption, because the king is coming soon with justice. He will set things right. And he does bring with him righteousness. And he will clear anything in his way. Heads up is basically John's ministry. (laughs) So even when desolation is all around us and we have a greater hope in something, or rather someone we cannot see yet, who comes to set things right, Jesus Christ... Even though desolation surrounds us, we still have this even greater hope of this one. Hope in him is not something that we have to sort of whip up or stir up in our hearts. Come on, soul. You can do it. That's not how Paul describes it. Paul says this hope is is a gift given by God. In fact, he calls him the God of hope who fills us with joy. Peace. God fills you with joy and peace. And if you want it, all you have to do is say, yes, Lord. Would you give me joy? Do you need joy and peace? God's like, I got it on like back order. I I got out so much of this. It's not on back order. I got plenty of this. I will give you joy and peace. And when he fills us with joy and peace, we find that we abound, as scripture says, in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, this Advent, don't be afraid to name the enemy of your soul. Don't be afraid to name or point out or identify the thing that is working against this hope in your life. That burden that always drags you down. Whatever it is, it's many things, I'm sure. But for each of us, it might be a little bit different. Name the conditions in your life that make it hard to believe in this future. Don't be afraid to do so, in fact. Well, I don't know. It might introduce doubts. Let the doubts come. Because even greater than your doubts is this hope of the one who comes. Whether it's a dismissive skepticism that you might have this morning that says, Sean, thank you, wonderful sermon. This is never going to happen. Or maybe it's an over-spiritualized view of, of this that thinks that 
these truths only happen in the soul or in the heart or some sort of inner life thing. And it does, but not merely there. And it doesn't really concern the reality of the real world with real suffering in this real place. Maybe it's a a laziness that you have, a sort of a dormant soul. Well, I just sort of, I don't have a lot of energy for this. Or maybe it's a, a real burden or stress or despair in your real life that is just weighing you down. Friends, take inventory of these things. What obstacles keep you from this Advent hope? What obstacles in your life keep you from this Advent hope? What is it? Whatever it is, in that burdened landscape of your life, whatever it is, whatever that thing is, the prophet does not negotiate with you, but has news, has an announcement. In fact, it's a command. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. And whatever mountain or valley stands in the pathway of the Lord as he comes to your rescue, it will be made a highway. Not like I-35. But like no traffic sort of highway. Directly to you, immediately, quickly, to bring the full force of God's joy and peace to fill your life. God will make a highway. And friends, this is why we're here. This is why you come every week. This is why we gather to worship. This is why Advent, this season, matters so much. So that you and I can face the reality of the desolation in this world and in our lives. All of the burdens that we have. That we can face that with the truth that Christ is coming again and he will set these things right. Amen? Somebody say amen to this stuff. That's why we come. Because we have to deal with reality. And Christ is our hope in dealing with that reality. Jesus means business. So this morning, may we be filled with a defiant belief. A belief That is greater than all of the doubts and burdens and stresses and worries and desolation in our lives. A belief that God gifts to us. Not one that we whip up on our own, but one that we receive from a generous God. May we this morning be filled with joy because we know of the one who is coming. May we be filled with peace in a world of violence. Because we know that the Prince of Peace is coming to reign in reality. In our lives and in this world. And in so doing, as we receive those gifts from God, God, fill us with those things. May we then abound in hope. A thick, never failing kind of hope. In the return of our great King. Amen. Amen.